Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Once again, and welcome to the Hooked On podcast from Hooked On Wrestling. Very, very happy to be uh, in your living rooms, in your cars, wherever you are listening to us. Once again, uh, it is our privilege that you have picked us amongst the many, many wrestling podcasts that are around these days. Much appreciated. Um, Let's get straight into introducing who we've got for you today. Uh, No new faces, but I'm very, very happy that uh, we've got a good, strong lineup. As usual, it's my co host, Paul Benson. How's it going, Paul? Hello, hello, Rob. Yes, mate, I'm very good, thank you. Hello, everybody. Hello, listeners. You know, it actually only just dawned on me today how grateful we are for all the people that listen to this. And you're right. If I had, to, if I could listen to every wrestling podcast every week that I wanted to listen to, I wouldn't get a chance to do anything else at all. So anybody listening to this and choosing to listen to us, presumably at the expense of something else, thank you very, very much. It's only just occurred to me how special that is. Yeah, I think so. I saw something on Facebook earlier on. There was a, a Facebook thread about uh, our new announcement, which Paul's going to get into uh, quite soon. Not just yet, but quite soon. And um, we've got a new hooked-on announcement regarding our uh, Bruce Pritchard venture. Um, that will come a little bit later on. Um, but I saw, yeah, there was a thread ongoing about that, and someone had pointed out that they listened to the podcast and uh, they enjoyed the WrestleMania mixtape and they thought it was something different, and they told their mate to uh, to tune in, and it was uh, it rather warmed my heart. It's nice to see people saying things like that, even uh, if it's just one person. We can change the world very, uh, very, very slowly, can't we? Correct. We're doing our best, mate. We are. And uh, speaking of uh, changing the world, although not necessarily for the better, um, let's bring on the uh, the heel of the podcast, uh, the man who was uh, always tries to stir up controversy, or even when he's not trying to. No, I'm only kidding. He's a uh, he's a good lad and he's a good friend, and uh, was part of the Hooked On Wrestling WrestleMania party in London this time, and he's also been on the podcast once before. He's the twisted genius Dean A.S. How you doing, Dean? Thank you very much, Rob. And can I just say, with a face like this, why would I ever want a new one? <laughs> I am very well, thank you. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Now, there is a reason um, why Dean is on this week, and that is because everyone else was unavailable. No, that's not true. There, is a, there is a reason Dean is on, um, because uh, the uh, WWE was in the UK this week. And uh, uh, since we knew that um, Paul Benson was going to watch SmackDown on Tuesday, uh, it so happened that our friend Dean was at Raw on Monday night, um, so, a good chance, I think, for you boys to um, tell me what I was missing, particularly on Monday, when I was just a little bit busy, you know, on an open-top bus going around Plymouth and, and celebrating our promotion to Skybet League One, even if those sods at Grimsby didn't let us win on Saturday, we couldn't <laughs> become champions. Um, but did it was you cool. have an open-top parade? We did. We had a lovely open-top bus oh, parade. We enjoyed it immensely. See, right, right. 
Brighton and Hove Albion are doing the same thing because they were arrogant enough to book an open top bus parade before they won the title. Well, as, then well, they screwed up the last three games. So basically, they're having a bus parade to celebrate coming second. No, they're not. They're having a bus parade to celebrate getting to the Premier League. That's a big, second. That is a big achievement for Brighton. We had, we had booked our bus quite a long time as well. You can't just do things these things on a whim. I... So, I'll tell you something, Jeremy Corbyn will not be having an open-top bus parade to celebrate if he comes second in the general election. No one remembers second. That's what I say. When when Ipswich got automatic promotion, at least we had the decency to win the division. Okay. For, 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 first of all, you know not to bring politics into this. Um, we, we're not going to do... Uh, any any politics building up to the general election that's been decided um and secondly i think getting promoted is quite an achievement uh, and we had a very good time on monday and that's all i've got to say about that um let's get on to the wrestling side of things that's what people are here for um you were yes. there on uh, on monday night but there was something else going on on monday in your life i believe well yes i, I must put a, a bit of a disclaimer out there because uh on monday it was actually my birthday as in my actual birthday may the 8th and um i believe it or not in all the years of, of following wrestling i've never actually been to a, a monday night raw taping i've been to two smackdowns two wrestlemanias SummerSlam, some of whatever they call them insurrection or whatever the uk pay-per-views were never been to raw so when monday night raw in london on my birthday came up it was like i've got to go to this so so off i went um so yes got to the o2 nice and early there's loads of stuff to do at the o2 um aside from just watching the shows um however it did mean that obviously as the evening wore on um i was drinking more and more um and as listeners to my previous podcast will know uh, the the famous AS bladder was in full effect so a lot of the time was spent going to the bar or going to the toilet both of which were in very close vicinity of us and as I, as I watched it back on the TV this week I realised that as the show wore on I remembered less and less of it what you can remember did you enjoy it was it a good show I also do remember bumping into Steve Carino uh, oh, on the way out. Oh, do you really? Clang! Um, There's the first one. <laughs> and um, even though I hadn't seen him in 10 years, he recognised me immediately. And yes, he's, he, I said to him, how are you doing? And he goes, how's it going? He goes, it's great. They haven't fired me yet. So yeah, you can't do <laughs> more than that. So, is, so um, um, what's, uh, what's, I'm sort of vaguely aware that he's around, but what's, uh, what's he up to then, Carino? What's his role? Um, he's um, he's an I believe he's an NXT trainer and I think he's he's possibly an agent a producer as well I think um, because he was pictured um, when they had the tryouts um, he he was at the side of, of those uh, in the picture there and and um, yeah he was suited and booted when I saw him so I think he's I know he's definitely done some training down at the performance center. It's really interesting, isn't it, how the... Um, we talked a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about we all thought that Christopher Daniels at some point seemed like a shoe-in, that he'd be um, going down to NXT and working as a trainer, if, if not full-time, then, you know, from here and there. And he's never had a, a sniff on the WWE main roster, but... Um, and there was lots of other people like Adam Pearce and Sarah Del Rey and, and oh. others that get to do their bit down there, and, and richly deserved from, from their reputation within the industry, but... It's and kind of, Johnny it, Saint. Indeed, Johnny Saint and Robbie Brookside and lots of other people that have, um, you know, Norman Smiley. There's been plenty that um, 
um, that have uh, we've got a British uh, side of things. We, we talked just before we went on air about Nigel McGuinness, and um, I know Nigel's not down in NXT doing that thing, but he's, he's doing some commentary, and it's and he got started with the the UK tournament. So they're not frightened to throw in people that haven't been on WWE, but it's almost... And Nigel's is a bit of a different story, because they were trying to get him at one point, but there's lots of other people that they've never deemed important enough or having the right character to be on their television show, but they're quite happy to take them afterwards. It's a little bit like the um, the football analogy that the best players don't always mess debate the best coaches. It's, uh, it's interesting how they make those decisions. Sorry, did you just say the best players don't always masturbate the best coaches? Um, I didn't say that. No, I didn't say they don't always make the best coaches. There's something wrong with your... Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, I look. I look. I look forward to either hearing that back on the podcast or in the edit, in which I say I'll get rid of it and make you look like a we, fool. But um... we can edit now. But no, I was going to say the exact same thing that you know on the the teacher pupil kind of front. But also, you know, it's it, it's just indicative of the WWE's whole hiring approach these days compared to you know ten twenty years ago, where you know even when Ric Flair came into the WWE. WWF, he wasn't allowed to make much mention of his previous accomplishments. Whereas now, you know, previous accomplishments elsewhere are, 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 are very much a positive, and they're all taken into account and oft, often acknowledged in commentary now. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a sign of the the changing times. I wonder what it's like for some of the, you know, the better wrestlers, the ones that are at the very top of their game to. Um, you know, if you're like a, if you're an AJ Styles or you're someone like that that's re- wrestling a match on on SmackDown or on a pay per view, and you've got an agent that's you know never really, you know, got to that sort of level, trying to say, well, why don't you do this and why don't you do that? I wonder how tempting it is for those wrestlers to go, do you want to shut up, mate, and just leave it to me because <laughs> you were never that good, you know? It must. I understand there are, you know, different ways of looking at things, but uh, I bet it's tempting for them sometimes. Quite possibly, but then I suppose you have to uh, think about how how much do I want this contract that I've got with the WWE, the largest wrestling promotion in the world. So that's, yeah, that is a good point, sir, when, uh, and, and well made indeed. Um, so um, what what what, uh, what were your seats like on Monday? Well, um, you can actually <laughs> bear in mind I know the answer to this. <laughs> yes, you, you can actually see us. It's one of those things that if you know where where we are, you can see us easily enough because my friend was wearing a bright yellow T-shirt as well. But basically, we were at the very back of the venue um, in row A, which at the time I thought, yay, row A, great. But actually, um, I would have been better off in like row G upwards because I would have been higher up. But we were right next to the entranceway to the left of it so basically when um like when um for finn balor sorry for, uh, when finn balor comes out to, to his uh, his entrance and he walks to the left of the ramp he is right right by us that's where we were um so we had a wonderful view of the entrance way uh, of the entrances we we didn't couldn't see the screen but the, the tickets were listed as limited view so i kind of thought that but also the problem was that there's a big load of seats on the floor in front of us and if um if people were stood up which they were for a lot of the time then you couldn't really see much of the bottom third of the ring um and also like when they're brawling outside the ring you couldn't see much either so um yeah, I I didn't realise we were we were down on the on the floor because normally I'd go for sort of front row of the balcony or something and you got a really good view. But um, you know, it kind of um, 
it's uh, it's the difference between a TV show and a, and a house show. You know, it's um, it's they they're working to the camera. They're not working to the audience. Well, we'll get into that. That's definitely something I want to um, talk about as uh, as we go on. Um, but I have to do this just for contrast. And um, Paul, what were uh, what were your seats like, mate? <laughs> um, our seats were um, given to us by WWE. Um, so well, there was, no, <laughs> <laughs> so there was no real nice. There's no real way of saying that without sounding like a massive bell, is there? Um, but uh, yeah, so we had rather nice seats. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, I knew that as well. And um, the corporate hospitality with the free wine was quite cool as well. Before. Yeah. With the WWE branded glasses. WWE branded wine glasses, man. It was um, unbelievable. And they had like WWE branded cushions all over the um, all over the VIP area as well. It was just it was just remarkable. Hmm. That's uh, that's gone up since my day. Since I was um, getting on that similar gravy train. Um, although I do, remember, I think the last time I went in one of those boxes at the O2 for uh, for Raw or SmackDown, that uh, you were my plus one, and I had to get rid of you because you were obscenely drunk. But I still, <laughs> but I, I still insist that I think you got some sort of spike or some sort of reaction to something because I've been drinking with Paul Benson many, many, many times, and while he can be uh, um, a different character later in the evening, this was way, way too early for the uh, decline to have started. So yeah, we, still, we, we're all familiar with the Benson routine, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, but this was this was this was different this was early we were, we were sort of midway through a taping and I was having to go these are people I work with work for and are trying to impress can you please like, not do this but uh, that isn't really Paul's I don't want to bury him too much on this podcast that's not really his character but uh, um, no, that was uh, there have always been some nice little um, little perks when you go to these things at, uh, at the O2 so what else was uh, what else was going on was there a bit of a drinks thing beforehand uh, well, yeah that's what we went to the little yeah. drinks reception with Ed they wheeled out um, Becky Lynch and Dolph Ziggler to do a bit of glad handing. Which oh, nice. your favourite Becky Lynch. Did you send her a little what? message on Facebook like you talked about the other week? <laughs> no, unfortunately, I, I missed the chance to club her over the head and take her away to be my wife. Um, but there's always next time. What you know, what a response. You can't look too keen with these things, can you? Mm, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I suppose that would be pushing it a little bit, wouldn't it? The old uh, club to the head. But... Um, yeah, I've, seen I've, some... now got the, uh, I've now got the image of Paul taking his shirt off to reveal a huge Becky Lynch tattoo on his chest, <laughs> like that episode of Alan Partridge. <laughs> <laughs> subtle. subtle as ever, that's me. Excellent. Yeah, I've got to say, just before we started recording this show, um, I was watching a, a programme on ITV called Car Crash Britain, and I thought to myself, Alan Partridge's crash bang wallop what a video has finally come to life <laughs> these, th- these things do happen quite often um, I once listened to a podcast with um, Armando Iannucci was listening listening to uh, was on sorry I was listening to the podcast he was on and um, he referred to the fact that people had let him know that there was a Wrestlemania where someone held up a sign saying youth hosteling with Chris Eubank <laughs> so he, he was he was most he was most amused at something he had written in a sitcom in the mid 90s had turned up at Wrestlemania of all places these days we yeah. get Venga out everywhere. Back back then, I was going to say the biggest signs I saw anywhere were Venga. I saw about four or five different Venga out signs. It's amazing. But the thing is, what what annoys me with that is be creative. I remember like years. So Austin three. When did Austin three sixteen start? Ninety seven, ninety eight. Yes. 
97. Yeah, okay, so whenever, right? You would go to a show and it'd be like 2001, and someone would hold up a sign saying Austin 316, and it'd be like, you've had five years, mate. Come up with something. You know, just put dyslexic Austin 361 or something. Do something different and be creative. And that's probably not very original in itself. But just imagine holding up just a sign that says that kind of thing and sometimes you see a sign that someone will hold up a sign that just says on it John Cena now admittedly sometimes it might be a four year old I might be having a bit of a go at uh, the creative um, brains of that but I still blame the parent who can say you can be more creative than that young man and just change things a little bit but um, why would you take Venga out take Venga 316 would be funny would it, would it not something just to you know bring the uh, bring the arc on a little bit I don't know Venga P45 that would nice I like that. That works as the in, in the in the same with the with the colon after the P. I like that. Oh, Arsene Wenger rise above hate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that that kind of thing. Anyway, um, back to um, back to business. Um, what was uh, what was SmackDown like from uh, uh, an artistic point of view? Forget your um, your glad handing. What was it like as a show? It was you know surprisingly brief actually. Um, there didn't seem to be an awful lot of content. What was there was okay. Um, but I was actually there. One of the guests I took was um, was someone who was going to the first ever wrestling event. It was actually our, our contacts from Walkabout in Temple. Hello, oh, yeah. Amy. Um, so we took her, and, and she while she enjoyed it, I think she'd have enjoyed it more if there was a bit more actual in-ring action to get her teeth um, into. Uh, her first experience being a 20-minute promo, which is very normal for us. We're used to shows starting our way probably took the wind out of the sails a little bit so that was a shame but you know it was good to see some of the guys that either I've seen not you know not often or never never seen them in some cases like Nakamura um it's great to see AJ Styles Kevin Owens um Luke Harper great presence absolutely fantastic Luke Harper is to me the the most underrated guy in the WWE he's absolutely fantastic I've seen him live on two different house shows in Brighton and he's just stood out to me as just being the glue that has held like tag matches together I'd go with that completely I think he's absolutely phenomenal but I had him jobbing to Eric Rowan which was unexpected um, and then the other good sort of moment was uh, getting to see the superstar the megastar the future Hall of Famer Jinder Mahal ah would not have been a wrestling show without seeing Jinder. Um, yeah, okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. We had we had a, quite the Jinder chat last week about uh, his uh, his placement. Well, I think we, since we've mentioned him and we'll talk about him very quickly, we've been talking about how you know, he's clearly in that place. WWE trying to renew a deal in India, that kind of thing. But you know, you never know. Sometimes they, we often slip in some football analogies on this show, and there's often cases of. Maybe the third choice left back is only an 18-year-old kid, but the first two get injured and he gets in and gets his place and, and does okay and turns into a really good player. Maybe, you know, we have preconceptions of Jinder because he's been knocking around for ages in the, the terrible Great Carly's brother angle and then the three-man band and then getting released and then coming back and just being a sort of slapstick sidekick and now suddenly he's number one contender. If we just simply say Jinder Mahal got brought in a month ago and it's a brand new character, would we be quite as down? I, I mean, I, he's not done anything wrong, has he? No. Do you know? Sorry, you go on, Paul. 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 You go. Okay, no, I, I was just going to say, I, I've, I've said about this on, on social media myself, it's like, 
people keep complaining that the WWE push the same guys and they don't elevate new faces and, and we need fresh and fresh mix at the top and so on and so on. Then they bring Jinder Mahal in as the top contender and people complain about that because, oh, it's Jinder Mahal, what are you doing with him? And I'm, I just ask, you know, what do you want? If they don't push anyone new, you complain. If they do push someone new, you still complain. It's... It's. I think the the thing that has hurt him is how he's been used previously. I think it's a very good point you made, Rob. If it was a brand new character, then people would be looking on with with new eyes. Or even if it was a repackaged character. I mean, although that I suppose they tried to do that with um with um Matt Bloom when he came in as Tensai and people just shouted Albert at him all day long. But. You know, to me, it's it's a case to give the guy give the guy a chance. You know, I mean, they've they've elevated Dolph Ziggler before and then pulled the rug out. They elevated Jack Swagger before and pulled the rug out for for whatever reason I don't know. So you know, let's let's see let's see where this goes, and and ultimately, um, you know, I'd rather see Jinder Mahal in a main event spot than the Great Carly. So, well, let's see what yeah. happens. Being, being serious about it I actually do, do agree with pretty much everything you've said I think he's not really put a foot wrong since he started he's not been you're not blowing anybody away but he's certainly been an acceptable presence and he does look the part all credit to him for that um, it, it, I think we talked about this last week how it, it just so reminds me of that JBL push where one minute he's a jobbing sort of lower card tag guy after the APA cooled down and the next he's JBL and um, he's contending for the world title uh, in my opinion and I know not everybody will agree but that worked out fantastically well um, so yeah I, I'll give him a shot and um, my complaining is quite tongue in cheek just because it seems so weird um, but who knows in three months time maybe we'll have a new fair, new main event face on hand and it's so fair play to all involved Mm. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, so say all of us. I think that's a uh, a fair comment. Um, now you talked about having not been to see um, the raw side of things before, um, Dean, and uh, there are several different experiences, aren't there? Going to watch WWE. We're talking WWE specifically here because I think it's fair to say that they're the they're the only one on the level that they're on. I think we might touch a little yeah. bit on TNA in, in a wee bit um, about their experiences over here, but um, generally speaking, British indie shows really cool go and see your thing there's lots of different ones of those TNA is something but WWE is in a bit of a class on its own even since the uh, the old WCW days when they used to come over here touring um, you I would imagine like a lot of us would have noticed a big difference between the taping experience and the house show experience definitely um, I mean I think it's it's the same with I think WWE and and TNA in that there's the format as a as a as a member of the audience watching it live there's a, a tv format um where they're essentially they are taping a tv show and you happen to be watching it um and as i said i touched on earlier you know they are playing to the camera and that's what you're taught to do anyway you know you do all your you direct your moves facing the hard camera you do all the promos facing the hard cam because there are millions upon millions of people watching on the tv screen and there's a few thousand or whatever it is in the arena so you don't have that same kind of connection whereas yeah at house show obviously they are they are performing to the audience on the on the the plus side though you know um depending on the wrestler not everyone will necessarily put in uh 
as much of a shift on a house show as they will on on a um a tv taping i mean that's that's not to tie everyone with the same brush different people work work differently but um but it was it did feel like um it did feel like quite an action-packed raw as opposed to a promo heavy raw um and we had a couple of good matches we had um we had Miz against Finn Balor to kick things off. We had uh, Rollins and Joe, which was pretty good. And we had um, uh, Ambrose at the end. I'm trying to think who he was against now. It's the fact that it was a few days ago and I've forgotten whose opponent was kind of says about the how the nature of how quickly things move. But, you know, it was, it was, it was again, what, what you'd say there, solid, it was a solid but unspectacular show. You know, it kind of just, it, tick the boxes Braun Strowman had a brief appearance because he was injured Roman Reigns had a very brief appearance and they they got the biggest reactions of all Roman Reigns was booed out the building pretty much Um, but you know he's getting a reaction the worst thing is indifference as they say Um, so yeah it was um, it wasn't a, a classic. I think you can't. Sometimes you think about you know the Cena Michaels match in London that went the best part of an hour and some of the great matches we've seen before, and it didn't quite live up to that. But at the same time, you know, I left I, I left the O2 you know as a as a satisfied customer, or uh, as Vince would like me to say, I left with a smile on my face. Well, that's good. It also, I mean, you were pissed. So that makes oh that, that would probably why yeah, yeah yeah but 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 fair but fair dues I watched them all, you know from the from the comfort of my living room and it was I thought it was a pretty good show so I didn't um you know I I take a a more keen look at the ones when they're over here because of you know I would think I probably know people that have gone to these shows and it's a little bit different what kind of effort are they putting in these days when they uh, they come over here because I have to say the first ever Raw that I went to. Um, working as a journalist was that one which was Cena versus Michaels we've talked about that on the podcast before um, and you know that was a, a rare treat and some other of my early ones you know it felt like uh, you know there was some big stuff going on and some some good matches and they'd thought about it and gone well the UK's a big market and we'll give them a cage match or we'll give them a whatever and it felt like um, it was a big deal and then for a couple of years it just felt like talk about going through the motions it's almost like they were assuming our people won't watch this week because it's not live and it's taped and um, we'll Mm. just we won't give away any surprises because it will leak and um, we'll just we'll just knock it on the head and it feels like they've sort of sat into a happy medium now where I don't think anything notable ever happens on the on the British Roars it's just a, 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 another cog in, in, in the wheel on, on that calendar. But I'll tell you, the one thing that, that really stood out to me, and bear in mind, you know, I've, I've been live in London and in the US, you know, when in the, the glory days of Austin and The Rock and, and Cena, that nobody on that show got what I would class as the superstar reaction. I mean, there was a, a decent reaction for Braun Strowman, and that could e- escalate, elevate in in you know time to come. Roman Reigns got a big, as I said, got booed quite a lot as when he came out, but it wasn't a sustained reaction one way or the other. But there was no one who you know in the in the the days the the old days where you know the glass would smash for Austin's music or. Yeah, do you smell the, if you smell the rock is cooking for the rock's music, and immediately people would spring to their feet. There just wasn't that 
feeling. You know, it's, and I think it goes back to what we've said before that, with the exception of Cena, it's it's the brand. It's not individual superstars anymore. It's the actual brand that that sells. I think that's I think that's essentially true. I'd, I'd like to think. I'm not convinced because of his um, background and his age and, and a few other things, but I'd like to think that they they could maybe see Styles as that guy. You know, in, in the you know, the next time they do some sort of shake-up, that Styles could be a Raw guy and they could really go to town with with Styles as the main man on Raw, but I don't think they're going to. Um, you know, the one that seems to be having the most... Uh, upward momentum at the moment and the, the fans seem reasonably solid behind him and he's being certainly being booked to be a, a star so far is um is Balor what kind of reaction did he get because obviously we've seen Balor um at the NXT show that they did over here the NXT takeover in London yeah. um he's we always will point out he is Irish but he is he he often refers himself to the fact that he was um trained and wrestled a lot of his time in in England or in Britain anyway so he was at Hamelot wasn't he like um, like you've been so um, you know, so while I acknowledge before any of our Irish listeners get uh, offended um, that um, he's Irishman, not a Brit, he is still one of our own, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so, was there a sort of a, a homecoming feel to his cheer, or was it just a we like this guy the same way we like Rollins or Ambrose or someone else? There was, I would say, it was slightly more than maybe slightly more than he'd get in the US, but it wasn't. A massive, massive pop. Similarly, Samara Joe always gets a really good reaction over here in the UK, mm-hmm. um, and he got a very good reaction. Um, as did Ron's, but they're all. It basically none of them, none of them were that kind of hairs on the back of the neck. Wow, this is yeah, you feel that electricity feeling. Um, when you say when no you say one, a good reaction for Joe, how how do you mean? Because. I would argue that the reaction he is going for are booze, a heat, and when watching the show, it felt to me when he was doing the beatdown on Rollins that he was getting that, but I am also aware that when the show is not live, they can massage the uh, yeah. the audio a little bit. Um, was there sufficient booing going on of, of, of Joe when he was doing his dastardly deeds? Because after all, that's what he should be getting. Yeah, by by good reaction, I mean that there was a feeling of excitement when he appeared. It's okay, like, cool. oh, yeah, it's Joe. The people were excited to see him. They want they he was one of the people they wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Um he he got he got some booze, but it wasn't an overwhelming heel reaction. I mean as I said ironically, you know, the man who got the, the biggest heel reaction was Roman Reigns. But um yeah, it's, it, yeah this this is the thing now I think that and I think Reigns proves it is that they just want people to get a reaction regardless of what that reaction is um, so if people want to cheer Samoa Joe then as long as they're making noise and you know buying his merchandise then then so what I mean yeah there's there, I know I know some old school mentality British guys who are heels who don't have merchandise because they say your job as a heel is not to sell t-shirts your job as, to, as a heel is to make the, the, the good guy look good and help them you know well I've, I've heard a couple of people t- tell those sorts of stories one of them is um, uh, actually one's, it's slightly different I've heard Kevin Nash tell the story about 
them um, WCW saying, oh, we've got the, this, NA, this NWO t-shirt and this NWO this, and it was like, you can't sell that. We're here. We don't work for you. We're the outside company. We have to do it ourselves. So they, they found their own way of pimping their shirts, which obviously was a, a unique way of doing it and probably sold way more than they would have done if it had just been WCW selling them. Um, but the one that's more down your street is, um, uh, I can remember from uh, the times I've, I've hosted stuff for, for PSI events with Chris Jericho, and you know Chris would talk about he told a story of he met someone I think it was a signing and they came up and they said oh I, I love it when you say uh, um, um, oh, what's, what's the thing he would do in the um, when you have someone oh, ask him he said I love it when you shout ask him and Chris went well I'll stop doing it then <laughs> and he said oh, and I, I love it when um, I love it when you I forget what it was maybe, maybe it was the stand on stand the pin with the, the flex in the arms or calling people gelatinous yeah. tapeworms or whatever it was and he went well I'll stop doing them then and he said the guy was really confused he went I don't want you to cheer I don't want you to join in I don't want you to buy the shirt he said, and he said, he said I went to people and said I don't want you to put out Jericho shirts because they shouldn't like me I'm a suited Ooh. suited up prick you know they should be booing the hell out of me now in the, you know, as time has gone on, you know, you can't tell me that when Chris Jericho has been a supposedly a heel and he was doing the drink it in, man. You know, hang on, you're doing catchphrases, mate. You're doing the list. You're doing the catchphrases, and you're a heel. Um, you didn't stop doing those because they were they were making some uh, some good money for you. But I will also argue that he wasn't necessarily a serious heel. He was more of a stupid heel and yeah. uh, was was able to uh, uh, to come right back with it. But I, I certainly take the point. Um, Paul, I mean, some, the best some... pure heel on that show, as far as doing what they're getting the reaction they're supposed to be getting, doing what they're supposed to do, was was Miz and Maurice, and and has been for months and months and months. He, exactly. And he... you know that you you could you could get that sense of people just didn't like them and it wasn't that they didn't want to didn't want to see them you know the old the old x-pack heat as they called it um although credit to them is he turned up for his flight um hey um it was it was that we want to see you get beaten up we want to see you get your comeuppance and they did a, a dark segment at the end of the show where where um ambrose gave him two dirty deeds um in the middle of the ring to you know send the crowd home happy Fair enough. That's um, always a always a good thing. And um, Paul, similar question for you regarding SmackDown. What were the um, the notable reactions that uh, correlated with what WWE would want, or what it would be perhaps a little bit more because it was in the UK? Anything stand out to you? Yeah, it did actually. It was it was, a, it was markedly different to what Dean described. There were two guys, and you can probably guess who they are before I even say it. But two guys who got those real strong, strong reactions. AJ Styles and Nakamura um, the crowd was delighted to see them especially Nakamura who had never been seen in the UK on that stage before and um, oh you leave out his esteemed match in Plymouth that I saw you can't tell me you can't tell me that Plymouth Pavilions with its capacity of about 2000 is not similar to the O2 how dare you well he's also better in the York Yes, and you both, they charge to get in. Um, there, therein lies the end of the similarities. Um, but yeah, it was, and very smart of WWE as well, by the way, to present, uh, they brought Nakamura out um, during the SmackDown taping for the, dig, uh, for the Ziggler confrontation. But then all the way through the show, every time there was a commercial break, they'd get on the microphone and say, just remember guys, stick around until after 205 Live and you can see Dolph Ziggler face Shinsuke Nakamura one-on-one. And they pimped that match all the way through the tapings. 
to ensure people stayed in their seats for 205 Live. Very smart. That is um, smart, yeah. So it worked well. And yeah, I'd say certainly the audience was delighted to see those guys. In terms of heels, nothing really. You know, nobody really gets a, a true, honest to goodness heel reaction outside the news anymore, I'd say. Um, so yeah, no, like two, two very good, good reactions and and both organically done really isn't it the, the guys that have come from Japan created their own stars and it just really proves there is no such thing as the quote unquote internet fans anymore we're all internet fans Paul yeah. can I ask did people like the you, obviously you get you know, the, the kind of ca- more casual fan at a big event like this as opposed to somewhere like maybe NXT or yeah. where you get a, small, a smaller more savvy crowd did people generally, you know, the kids, the the parents, did they seem to know who Nakamura was? Uh, yeah, they did actually. We were surrounded by kids. There were, you know, to our to our left and right, there were kids brought by their dads. And, and whether it's the fact that they pick, and I think crowds are quite interesting things. It doesn't take that many influences in a crowd to get everybody else excited. And I said it was probably an element of that where the buzz for Nakamura was so great um, that by the time he came out, even these kids who maybe never even heard of him knew that he was a big deal and wanted to join in on the excitement. Um, so, it, and, and that job done in that respect. That's really interesting. And did people stick around for 205 Live and the Dark Match? Yeah, most mostly, I think, yeah. Oh. Cool. Cool. Um, I, I will say we'll do this really quickly because I want to move on to one more point about sort of house shows versus tapings and then uh, I want to get on to our, our discussion uh, on the best of times and the worst of times as well as a, a bit of a sneaky announcement um, I will say that um, I think they have done a very very decent job um, with the early stages of Nakamura um, because I cannot remember the last time they made someone feel like such a star in terms of Here's a promo. He's coming soon. Here's a promo. He's coming soon. But not a, you know, a, a sixty, you know, a thirty-second promo you know, that might have been done like um, to announce T.L. Hopper or Duke the Dumpster Drossy. I mean, you know, someone. Here's a video package from his best moments and hitting the uh, the Kinshasa and everything, and just going, oh my God, he looks absolutely amazing. And then bringing him in the ring and just having him basically look around and not do much and have his confrontations then say his debut's going to come at the pay-per-view I think it's just they have made the guy feel like a million dollars and they've explained a bit about who he is and you just want to see it if you've never seen him before and I've talked about this umpteen times but I had only seen him a couple of times in Japan but the first time I saw him was at one of the uh, the big New Japan shows the Wrestle Kingdom shows and I fell in love with him and just like he hadn't even reached the ring and I'd fallen in love with him for his, his Rest- manner gone national and he is the absolute personification of the universal language of, of wrestling. Just but, you know, ultra cool and just different and yeah. just you just I, I watched him get to the ring and thought I have to see what happens here, and I did yeah. and it was great. And so when he got called up to um to WWE and to NXT, I had lots of people that you know read on the internet and knew about him but hadn't actually seen him. The only Shinsuke Nakamura they knew was the one that had played for Celtic, and you know I had to say you know this guy is tremendous and the feedback was the same they watched NXT the first time and they saw him and they said you know he was just in, so engaged and straight on so I think people just naturally take to him and but they have, yeah. they have gone a little bit above that with their um, with their 
marketing of him. That being said, wouldn't it be the funny? It would be an, an appalling business decision. But how amazingly funny would it be if Ziggler beat him in eight minutes at the pay per view? <laughs> it just, it just killed him stone dead. <laughs> Swerve everyone, but uh, no, I, I think uh, in, in in all serious, seriousness, obviously he's going to win. It's going to make him look good, and Ziggler is the man for that. There's lots of we we'll probably do an hour, we we'll probably do an hour podcast on its own about his career and where he's been and where he could have gone. But right now, if I want someone to make Nakamura look good, he's the guy I go to. Definitely, and I've got to say as well, I'm convinced that there is now a conspiracy for me to never see Nakamura live because. Uh, he was um, he was originally put on the card of uh, the NXT show that's coming to Brighton on June the 8th that I'm going along to, um, and then they've announced the house show on uh, November 2nd, and I looked up on the WWE website and it's the Raw roster again. So oh. unless there is unless there's a, a draft, I, I think I'm destined to never, unfortunately, never see old Knackers live. <laughs> um, I would, which I would, you know, he he is just someone that I'd love to experience live. Brilliant. First, first of all. I want to say that one man's conspiracy theory is another man's restraining order, but <laughs> but old old knackers is a is a wonderful way of referring to the one of the greatest wrestlers on the entire earth. I'm trying to think how the, could, knackers, could you yeah. imagine Corey Graves or I suppose it's on SmackDown. So um, <laughs> Byron Saxton going, I like old knackers. <laughs> Maybe Nigel McGuinness. If they call Nigel up one day, I can see Nigel call him old knackers. But not yeah, they work with yeah. You know, here comes old knackers. Kendo Nagasaki used to be known as naggers. Right. Okay. Careful. Yeah. And and it's just you know, Nagasaki Nakamura Nagas Nakas. You know. Yeah. Just, yes. Yeah. As I say, careful. Go on, Paul. Yeah. Do you understand, Dean, that um, Nakamura has been added to the NXT tour? I thought he'd been taken. Uh, I was careful. I thought he'd been pulled off. Um, <laughs> I've seen the lineup on the Brighton Centre website. And he's nowhere. He's not on the lineup at all, and he's not on the poster. So I presumed he'd been taken off again. He was not on the poster because they didn't have him on the tour originally. Then presumably to a ticket sale, they added him to the tour. Um, so and, and as far as I'm aware, I don't think that situation's changed, or I could be wrong. The lineup I've seen has got a main event of um, Chris Hero, uh, Cassius Ono, and Bobby Roode, and there's no mention of Nakamura anywhere on the on the um, advertising. But we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Indeed, we Indeed. will. Um, we need to move this I, a little I bit. I will on. obviously let you know if he does turn up by sending you a text of old knackers is here. <laughs> a, te- a text? No, no. A sign, dear boy. Let's have a nice big, nice big old knackers sign in the Brighton Centre. Because let's face it, I'm sure the Brighton Centre has seen its old its share of old knackers in its time. Um, right, uh, a couple of things we need to uh, to move on to. Uh, I want to ask a very very quick question of, of both of you um, in your experience of. Uh, TNA shows over here because we've talked about the um, the house show experience versus the um, the taping experience. If you haven't been to a taping, it is a little odd because you're you know having breaks here and there. Um, seen a lot of video packages on the screen. There's backstage items. There are in-ring promos. So you can go a good half an hour, 40 minutes or so without actually seeing any wrestling, and it's kind of odd. Um, but as you talked about earlier on, sometimes the house show is a bit pedestrian if people aren't putting it in. Um, when TNA first came over here, um, Paul, you'll be able to help me with the dates, but I think it was 2008 was, I think, their first tour. Um, and those first three or four years, around about 2008, 9, 10, 11, not only do I think it was 8, 9, 10, around that time was probably 
I think TNA's best years anyway. Um, but they came over here with stacked rosters and they went for it, did they not? And it's like they really built their brand over here as a live brand, I think. I mean, obviously they did well once they, you know, their show went on on Challenge and, and various other things that um, you know specifically, Paul, you were involved in, in getting it on TV, for goodness sake. But um, I think the live TNA shows being so good and word spreading of people saying, you should go and see TNA next year, I went and it was amazing, I think built their brand in the UK as much as anything that happened on television. What do you think? Oh, definitely. You know, the buzz around those shows was fantastic. They just put the but, it, but they just kept it simple. They had stars that people wanted to see that the, the mass audiences hadn't seen before. And again, back in that time, we're talking about guys like Joe Styles, um, Nigel McGuinness for a period, that sort of thing. And they, they, like I said, they kept it very, very simple. They presented those matches properly. Um, we got the X Division again, a whole bunch of guys that that people were clamouring to see, and they just made for an, a very entertaining show. Um, I. Were they a live brand ahead of a TV brand? No, I probably would disagree on that because the ticket sales saw a big jump when it became a TV taping at Wembley as opposed to um, as opposed to a normal show. Okay, fair play. But um, but but I certainly see the gist of the point you're making, and and all the way up to the end. I know I didn't go to the last TNA tour because I was out of the company at that point, and it always falls on the weekend of my son's birthday, so it's always a bit tricky. Um, I didn't go and I don't really feel like I missed much I think the quality definitely took a nosedive but yeah in those peak years 2008-2012 like you said even when Hogan was there I remember when we had that taping when it was the um, storyline with Bully Ray and the Aces and Eights and Hogan at Wembley I thought that was absolutely brilliant I thought it was one of the things I've been to Uh, he was working tags on the that's right he was working tags and he was coming out to um Coming out to the Rocky theme. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's right. I, I thought it was great. They did a wonderful job on that tour. I think that was the one where you and I saw all three shows. Uh, uh, I think I, I think there may have been four, and I think I did all of them because I worked in Glasgow. That was my. Ah, uh, you're right. You're right. You did. I do. did a I did a day's day's work for TNA up in Glasgow. I was their PR guy for the night because uh, yeah, our yeah. friend Simon Rostin couldn't make it, and I was the PR guy in, in Glasgow. So, um, sure. uh, and I definitely remember. Well, I put it to do with. I put it around that time because I can remember seeing, um, you know, Luke Gallows, Mike Knox, you know, in catering. They were still at the time the hooded um, Aces and Eights members, but they were they were around. It was kind of a bit of an open secret. And it was them under the hood. So um, that gives me that it was that sort of era. Um, yeah. But interesting, you see about the the, the the jump in terms of the taping because I would, I'm sure we've been to Wembley Arena shows that were virtually sellouts even before they went to a taping so maybe the the, the 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 star was on its wane generally with TNA and then it was the taping that sort of perked the set and ticket sales back up but interesting I remember, though that... I remember Wembley it was there was the last show they did before they taped which was I think it was the best TNA show I ever saw which was the one that had Ultimate X and it had yeah. Doug against Rick Flair. Yeah. I missed. That. I actually and, missed that one. But yeah, I remember. The, remember the, the the show. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was a block at the at the back of the of the venue that was curtained off, and then when they did the first year's taping, that block was opened up and was pretty much full. So I remember they they basically they, I think they sold out the number of tickets they had available for the the house show. 
but then they had more tickets available because of demand for the for the TV taping, and then the TV taping audience numbers did dwindle as the as the years went on. But I mean, I remember there was that the last I think it was the last one they did there was a fantastic um, angle against Lashley match where the title changed. That was that was a cracking match. Paul was the um, when Doug wrestled um, Flair at Wembley. Was that the same year? as the Manchester show when we went out with the Cowboys or is that a different night uh, I believe so yes I, I believe because it's, it's in my head that I missed the, the show with the Ultimate X on but I'm, I feel like I was around for the, for the Doug versus Flair thing it might be I was just busy that night I'm not sure um, my last point on it what I'm saying is that um, it's interesting you said that there was a ticket spike when people went oh, it's going to be taped I have to go which shows the mentality of wanting to be at something that might feel significant as opposed to the show that you're going to see, because um, almost exclusively, I would say that the TNA house shows that I went to see were better than the tapings. Now, I will say this is not a, a stick your foot into TNA show. Um, generally speaking, I, all the ta- all the tapings I went to were very good. Um, excuse me. Um, even this year, after two or three years of missing TNA tours, I went to a show in Birmingham. Um, I was very kindly invited, which I was appreciative. I was appreciative of. Uh, the main reason I went was because I thought it was going to be Kurt Angle. It could potentially have been Kurt Angle's last ever match, here or otherwise. Obviously, he has continued to do some some indie stuff, and we hope that we'll see him in a WWE ring at some point. But I went to Birmingham to see Kurt Angle, basically. Um, but it was a good show. I mean, it was a very thin roster in terms of stars. Um, but there were a few people that shone that night. That was the first time I'd ever um, really seen the EC3 character, and I thought he was very good. Mike Bennett and Maria were magnificent. Um, you know, there was it was a it opened my eyes, but so still TNA were coming to the UK and treating it seriously and doing big big stuff. And I think whenever people say, "Oh, how how come TNA versus WWE was so close back in the day?" Um, but in in America it was so far apart, but in 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 England in the UK it was close. I think it was because. TNA really super served us and they really really said we're going to make this a big deal we're going to go over in January and we're going to be make it something special whereas I think WWE say we're going to go over there we're going to do what we need to do and then we're going to get out I think they've regulated with it's not normally a bad show when Raw and Smackdown's on in the UK but I don't think it's ever notable anymore would that be yeah, fair TNA, do you think? TNA to me always when they're over here they would do things they do you know fan parties and events for the fans and they'd make you know they'd make it feel special they'd make like as you said make the fan fans feel valued um and it was like yeah we're we're coming here and putting on this show for you whereas with the wwe it's more we're in town come and see us yeah it's the 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 momentum's the other way around and such but I think you know the other thing with with TNA v WWE in this country was there was the obvious factor of the 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 mark the the channel that TNA were on was a free view channel that had a lot more reach. But then you know so you might you'll get more people able to watch your your show, but then you've got to put on a damn good show because if your show is awful, you'll have a load of people seeing that your show is awful. So the fact that they were putting on really good TV at that time and really they had a really good product, really good roster, as you said, Rob, and it was available to more people, um, that's why it was very close between the two. Indeed. Um, I've uh, Lads, I've really enjoyed this uh, chat looking over the... Um 
the UK shows this week. Um, just on a final point, if there are people listening to this that haven't been to WWE shows here um, before, house shows or tapings, would both of them be something you would recommend? Would you say do one before the other? Um, starting with you, Paul, what would be your sort of thumbs up, thumbs down um, verdict on if WWE is coming to someone's town? I think it totally depends on personal preference. Now, me personally, my my old mindset back in the day was TV trumped all. And I think it was because it was quite a novelty. And like you're touching it just now by saying that nothing on house shows is ever truly significant in the grand scheme of things. And I was dying to see when it was significant. So when WWE started taping over here, it was a bit of a revelation to me. So I'd go to Raw or regular, on a regular basis. I think it was just Raw that taped at first, not SmackDown, I could be wrong. Um, and it was fantastic but over time I kind of once, once the novelty wears off to me the format just isn't quite it's not as slick it's not as fun you're very much the extra in a, the, the TV is what's being served rather than a live audience whereas a house show it's just so much more fun being the word I'd use it feels like going to the pantomime or the theatre and that these guys are there to primarily serve the live audience the things that are going to happen, yeah, they're not having a, not going to have a bearing on the wider WWE. Everything that happens is non-canon, I suppose you could say. But because of that, the gloves are off a little bit, and they can do things in the moment that you know you, they're not having to serve a wider story. They're just having to serve you. And to me, especially if you're taking people that are maybe younger fans or people that haven't been fans for a long time, I'd I'd go the house show route, and I think that's why the NXT shows when they've been over have been just so incredibly enjoyable. Obviously, Takeover aside, I didn't get to go to that. That was brilliant, but um, the NXT house shows they did were just an absolute breath of fresh air. And um, I know WWE thought they were the best shows they'd done in the UK in terms of quality of production, in terms of quality of entertainment, if you will, um, in in many many years. Uh, I definitely agree with that so yeah long answer to a very short question Rob my, my preference would be house shows Dean? Yeah I mean I would say that, that there was a time there's those those years where WWE had purchased their competition and TNA were yet to arrive in, in the UK I went to a WWE house show in um, in London um, I think it was like Triple H and Umaga was the main event, but the whole show felt like a, a load of personal appearances with a couple of moves thrown in here and there. It was almost like, oh look, we, you know, we you, as fans, you get to see these people in the flesh, and that was it. Um, and then thing, you know, things have evolved, evolved now, and I'm I'm really looking forward to what look coming to to see the NXT show for the reasons Paul says, and I think that for casual fans who, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, that I, I work with in, in Brighton who come along to the, the Brighton house shows, they don't want to travel up to London for a TV taping, but they want to see these guys in the flesh. And it's just, a, a, you know, it's, it's a bit more relaxed. And as I, I think also as a, as a performer, you are a lot less nervous if it's a house show if it's not televised whereas you know if you know you're doing a live TV performance the butterflies are kicking in you're very nervous things are, are, are a bit more a bit more tense um, I think TV is an experience and it's good to go to that and it's good to see that but then yeah do people go along because they think they're going to see a good you know top quality show 
do people go along because they think they might see a bit of history or do people go along because they want to get themselves on the TV you know you haven't got so much of that with the silly chants and things like that in a house show um, and also as I think for you know people who are training in the wrestling or new to the wrestling business as well house shows are really useful for just watching people who are at the absolute peak of their game and what they do um, for example when I, I remember the first Brighton House show John Cena was in the main event and it was I found it absolutely fascinating to see how a guy who was he was you know the, probably the hardest working busiest guy in that promotion and how he was able to work safely every so many nights of the, of, of the year but still put on a, a, a decent quality main event and I found that fascinating. So whatever level you're coming in at, I think a house there's something for everyone on a house show. Excellent. I think that's some some. I would I would tend to back up your views um, uh, in in essence, except for the fact that I don't think I've been to a house show in 20 years. It's always been the the tapings that I've gone to that. Uh, um, I've justified living, um, leaving deepest, darkest Devon to uh, um, to go and report on something. So it's, it's tended to be that my career has dictated to me that I've been doing um, tapings rather than anything else. But um, certainly the uh, the TNA experience at a house show was, was incredible. And uh, most of the people that tell me about the WWE house shows tell me how much it improved that is. Whereas a few years ago it really was, you know, it's a long trip. You know, we're just going through the motions because we're told to. But now they've uh, they've stepped it up a little bit and that might be a little bit indicative of the eras where you know perhaps there was an era in the mid 2000s where the um, the the work rate if if you can if I can use that expression you know wasn't quite as high as it is now there wasn't quite the emphasis on the uh, on the match quality but uh, uh also, got... social media i think you know where if if um you know if someone phones it in to use that old expression you know, and a load of people talk about it on Twitter, that will get picked up by whether it be fans at the next town or your bosses or whoever, you know, every everything is everything is, is trackable and traceable these days. So I think people you know, there might also be the, the fact that these guys feel a bit more accountable nowadays. It's a good point you make. It really is. Um, I'm just going to quickly uh, touch on something that we talked about earlier on in the podcast because we, uh, while we've been talking, um, we put uh, a little post on our Facebook page, which is at uh, facebook.com forward slash ho wrestling. Hey, I did one, Paul. Didn't have to um, didn't have to go over to you there, mate. Uh, although I will be doing it in, uh, in just a second. Um, it was put out there about um, a topic we talked about earlier on, which was uh, we talked about people like Steve Carino, Sarah Del Rey, and Adam Pearce that uh, didn't make it to WWE until their ingrained careers were over. And we just said, you know, what do you guys think are some of the best that inexplicably never made it to the WWE? So bear in mind, we've only had uh, half an hour or so since we were talking about that, but um, we've had some answers come through. Um, Rich Young, who we've uh, heard on the podcast before, um, he says, uh, Doug Williams, in a time where the Brits are suddenly being embraced by WWE, the flag bearer for many years, isn't amongst them. That's a good point. Um, Liam O'Connor goes with Christopher Daniels, who we uh, who we mentioned, um, recognises that he had a few dark matches and appearances lost Los Conquistadors. I didn't know that. Was uh, Daniels was one of Los Conquistadors at one point? I never knew That's that at all. Him and Nick Dinsmore, I believe. Wow, I never knew that. Um, that was in the year 2000 revival when they were doing the whole thing with Edge, Christian and Hardy. 
Uh, yeah, was... I, I guess it was in that era, but uh, and I guess they would have used other people because they were doing the whole thing, like the Blue Blazer, where clearly some weeks it was Owen and Clear, and some weeks it was someone else, and it was that kind of thing. Um, anyway, moving on, uh, Francis Reyes says uh, talks about Magnum TA. We're going back a generation or so there, but uh, he had the goods. Were not for his accident, he would have been a main eventer for the WWE. And uh, Midnight Express with Jim Cornette, he talks about that. That's sort of, sort of an era thing, really, of uh, people being in the NWA as opposed to. Um, uh, WWE, but both good points. Um, Lee Milsom says the great Mooter. That's a good call. Um, the great gimmick would have got over massively with the WWF audience in the same way Nakamura is now. Perhaps Mooter would have been a better fit for WWF rather than WCW, where he appears sporadically. Um, Johnny, Johnny Byrne, who's uh, someone that uh, Paul and I both know, also says about uh, Mooter and the Midnight Express. Uh, Richard Parr, who we had on last week, has come in and talked about Nigel McGuinness, as has Thomas Broom-Jones. Um, he says he crafted a legend for himself as one of the very best that British wrestling had to offer, and now he's a commentator with WWE. And just finally, Michael Harl says the fact that Sting wasn't there in his prime is gutting. Um, thank you very much for all of uh, your feedback on that. And we're going to try and make this a, a regular thing, um, and a bit of a snap thing as well. Not necessarily something we'll do on the day of the uh, of the talk, but just um, while we're in the middle of something, if something comes up, let's put it out there and, and see what uh, what you guys think. So uh, thank you very much for all of those uh, contributors for uh, their opinion. Speaking of the Facebook page, um, we made an announcement there earlier today. We were recording this Thursday evening. Um, we made an announcement on the Facebook page earlier on today, uh, which Paul is now going to explain to you podcast listeners, uh, which will be very, very interesting for some of you, particularly on an island just west of the UK. Yes, indeed. An island called Ireland. We've um, cut, cut a long story short. We have today announced that uh, we're going to add a new date to the Bruce Pritchard tour. We've been absolutely inundated with requests from every man and his dog asking why we're not going to their town, which is pretty much what you get when anybody in any entertainment industry puts an event on. Um, the first response is anyone sees on social media is why are you not coming to North Allerton or why are you not coming to Pudsey and things like that. Um, well, the long and the short of it is we, we, we have to do these things to to make them as profitable as possible. Um, and to do that, you kind of have to pick where you think the events are going to be most popular. So we did that with this tour. Um, and we did promise that if we could squeeze in another date somewhere that was viable, we would do so. And lo and behold, um, we're going to do Dublin. We're going to actually open the tour with Dublin. So it's going to be Saturday the 15th of May. Uh, sorry, sorry, July, Saturday the 15th of July, and we're going to be um, running this event at the Wool Shed Bar and Grill. Uh, and you'll notice on our social media posts, bar is spelt B-A-A, that is not a typo, that is the name of the bar, it's top punnage, I know you guys will both like that, the Wolf Pack, uh, the, wolf, the Wool Shed Bar and Grill. No, the Wolf Pack! Or <laughs> the Wolf Pack, <laughs> maybe we could have an Emmerdale-themed event. Um invite Marlon Dingle um, so we're going to do that um, tickets are actually available um, from a slightly different website for this one uh, tickets are available from billetto.ie that's B-I-L-L-E-T-T-O dot I-E that's the only place you can buy tickets for our Irish event purely because um, we can't sell um, tickets and commodities in Europe uh, in Euros on any of the platforms we currently use so I've had to set up a new platform just for our Irish fans to buy in euros, and that's Excellent. what the Woolshed Bar and Grill. The Woolshed Bar and Grill. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I I like the sound of a bar and there's a bar and a grill in Dublin, isn't it? Yep. Correct. The bar and grill in Dublin where you can listen to someone who's very knowledgeable talk about wrestling. I mean, this is ticking all the boxes. <laughs> well, it's going to be a, obviously it's going to be a great night again. Bruce himself's really excited to be going over. Um, he's one of many Americans that identifies Ireland as his family at home. So he's delighted that we managed to squeeze this in. I know the response we've had so far from from the Irish guys who follow us on Twitter and Facebook has been excellent too. Um, crucially, by the time you hear this, tickets uh, will probably not be on sale yet. If Rob's able to edit it tonight, um, tickets will be going on sale on Friday the 12th of May at 10 a.m. Um, from Bileto. That could be either in the future or the past, depending on where you hear this. But just a, a word of warning, guys, our platinum VIP package on this are extremely limited. It's a small venue. It's not big. So we're only actually going to be selling 10 platinum VIP packages. So if you want one, get in there in the first couple of days or you have zip all chance. Yeah, it goes for a lot of the other shows as well. We are um, Paul will tell you the uh, the specific dates and times in just a second about the, uh, the other shows that we're uh, running in the UK. Um, but... Um, all of those shows are pretty limited as far as it goes to VIP. We have a lot more um, VIP tickets available for those shows, and hence why they are still available. But uh, yeah, it is much, much more um, limited in uh, in Ireland, as Paul says. It's a small venue. Um, listen, all of these things are a little bit of a work in progress for us. This is our first venture into this world. Um, we do not intend to make this a one and done. We want to do more of these. Um, and uh, A, you can help us by uh, coming along and supporting the events, which you are already doing in your hundreds and thousands. So thank you very much um but also um you know by, by purchasing the vips and spreading the word and getting more people into these venues um if we think this is a viable thing then we'll be bringing people back which means we will be hitting some of the same towns where we've drawn well and if, if this island show sells out really nice and quickly then if we are able to bring someone else over uh, for a tour then uh, ireland dublin belfast wherever um we'll be looking for um those places as, as potential places we'll visit so um it's uh, an evening with terry funk well, you know him, so uh, why don't you? Uh, I tell you what, if you can get him booked, and then we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk some business. But uh, I he's wasn't the one... really at the double cross ranch. I was in Telskin Cliffs. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, one of these days we'll uh, we'll get the funker over here. That would be uh, that would be excellent. Um, Paul, just give us the uh, give us the other dates rather quickly, and uh, tell us where people can buy tickets to come and see Bruce Pritchard. Something to wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard here in the UK. No problem, Rob. Right. So the rest of the tour, when we hit back to England, uh, we're going to be doing Birmingham at the Around the World Bar on Broad Street, and that's going to be Sunday, the 16th of July. We were actually just there today for the uh, Bama weigh-in, which is great fun. Um, we're going to be doing Manchester on the 17th of July that is the Monday and that's at the Comedy Store at Deansgate Locks and then we finish the tour at our spiritual home Walkabout Temple in London right there on the River Thames July the 18th it's Tuesday night that'll be a last chance to see Bruce and then that could be the last time you ever get a chance to see something to wrestle with live in the UK so do not miss out you can buy tickets for the English shows from three places, hookedonevents.co.uk, which is our own website, which would be the one we'd like to see you go to. Failing that, you can go to ringsideworld.co.uk or wegottickets.com. 
excellent stuff. We want you to uh, see as many of you as possible at all of those shows. Now, let us move on to our uh, new-ish feature. I think we're on week three of, uh, of what we're calling the best of times, the worst of times. It is where we discuss the career of a particular WWE superstar, and we're going to be mixing things up as time goes on in terms of main eventers, tag teams, um, not necessarily always world champions, but we're going to keep it on a pretty high level uh, in terms of who we are talking about. We have already discussed Bret Hart and The Rock in previous weeks and decided what our favourite matches of theirs is into a fictional time capsule, we'll call it this time. We had our WrestleMania mixtape, and if you listen to those, it's a very similar sort of uh, concept. But uh, very shortly, I will be putting forward what I think is the best match of this week's subject's career. Paul will be rebutting with his idea. Dean will be the judge about who goes into the time capsule, but we'll also be having a a chat about the guy's career uh, and some of his best and indeed worst moments. And our subject this week is the rated R superstar, Edge. That was who we were set uh, as the topic last week by Richard Parr here on the uh, podcast. So Edge is the topic, and I think it's me to go first, is it, Paul? You are absolutely correct. And that is interesting, because I do think um, this is... I mean, it's only week three of this, but uh, this was a very, very, very tough decision. My my week one Bret Hart decision was easy. My rock one, I came to in, in time, but this... You know, I, I, I would almost feel like uh, I could have a short list, and if you were to say one, that would at least knock one off. But I am going to go with... I'm going to go with Edge versus John Cena in TLC, and I haven't written down the year, but I think it's around about 2006 or seven. Um, is it maybe it's maybe a little bit more recent than that? I'm not sure. But um, it's what? Sorry. 2006. 2006. Okay. Um, that's what I'm going for. Um, the main reason is because. Um, one of the things we talked about, by the way, dear listener, is for this segment was we were going to talk about rivalries. We were going to have talking about the uh, who was the best opponent, who was the best rival that someone ever had. And some people that would be a, a tricky decision. We talked a lot last week about how Paul and I pretty much preferred the Rock versus Triple H as opposed to the Rock versus Stone Cold for um, some of Rock's um, uh, career feuds. Um, I think Edge's best opponent, be- best adversary was Cena. I think that the two of them really, really collided well. They were different um, different heroes to the audience. The people that liked Edge were unlikely to like Cena and vice versa. Um, Cena's character was all about honour and virtue, whereas Edge was billed as the ultimate opportunist, opportunist and would take shortcuts, would use um, his relationship with Vicky Guerrero to his advantage. So there was a real personality clash between Edge and Cena, but it also led to great chemistry. Um, even back then, Cena was being regaled with You Can't Wrestle Chants, which were ludicrous because Cena for a dozen years or so has been producing excellent wrestling matches. Um, this is an example. It's a, you'll find that I won't probably go to this kind of thing all that often. I'm not much of a, a gimmick guy um, when it comes to matches. I like my one-on-ones for, for a good reason, but there were reasons why you could escalate a feud into certain matches, um, and this kind of felt an appropriate one because Edge was the master of the TLC back from his Edge and Christian days um, and so it didn't just feel like a random arbitrary stipulation that was added um, Cena won the match and um, it was a but it was still just as much of a star making performance for Edge 
um, as it was for Cena. Um, so the reason I've chosen these two, this match in particular, is because I, I am fond of the, uh, I'm fond of the feud. I found that this was the, the the subject that I probably had ten that I could have gone to, which I feel like kind of, I'm not big on star ratings, but they would almost be sort of eight or nine out of ten, four four and a half star matches, whereas um, you know Brett had many that were very good, but only a few that were right at the very very top. Um, Edge feels like he has, he has just as many, you know, three or four star matches, but uh, none that really, really stood out to me as being one of the greatest of all time. Um, so that's why I've gone down that road. Um, Paul, if uh, if you'd like to uh, fire back at me, tell me why I'm wrong and tell me what your choice is. Well, I first of all say, Rob, that that was a heck of a choice. Um, you know, a brilliant match, one of the first moments where we saw Edge as a true WWE headliner um, absolutely phenomenal and it's it was definitely on my shortlist it was in my top three certainly but it probably wasn't my top one um, I've got two matches in mind and I'm, I'm slightly torn and I'll tell you one that didn't make it first actually and the only reason it hasn't made it is because we're talking about a singles guy here so I just feel it's the nominating a tag team match is, is kind of against the spirit of it. Oh, no, it's, it's totally... I would, have, I would have immediately sounded the alarm and said that you can't yeah. pick... No, 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 no picking, no picking tag matches for individual wrestlers. Well, that's good we've set that rolling stone in because what I, what my, my instinct was to go for one of my favourite, favourite tag team matches of all time. And I know exactly what everyone's probably thinking. And There's no ladders, no chairs, no tables involved um, in the match I'm thinking of. It's... Um, it's Edge and Rey Mysterio against Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit at No Mercy 2002. Yeah, great match. Finals of the uh, SmackDown Tag Team Title Tournament. Truly, hands down, my favourite tag team match of all time. One of my favourite matches of all time. And that was the first one I wanted to go with. But like, like we've said, it's, it's not really uh, allowed. Um, obviously, he's got those TLC matches under his belt as well. But the match I'm actually going to go with is slightly off the beaten track. But again, it's another one. Um, from the same year actually from 2002 it's one that um, I think was um, kind of era defining in a way and that era is of course the Smackdown 6 um, the four guys that we've just mentioned as well as Los Guerreros um, were absolutely incredible to watch together in 2002 and Edge was probably you know the, the main event centrepiece of all that but each one of those guys held their own and each one put forth an amazing amazing effort the match I'm going to go with actually wasn't even a pay-per-view match um, it was on an episode of Smackdown um, and I happened to watch this when I was on holiday actually in New York it was one of the few um, matches uh, I, on Raw or Smackdown that I've ever been able to watch live live as in at a reasonable hour rather than at silly o'clock in the morning um, and we were sat, I watched it with a, a Mexican chap that I'd met that night called Pedro um, who was oh son. yes, of course you did. Yes, Pedro. Uh, yes. Yeah, I did. Um, there's a photo of me somewhere hitting with a steel chair, or pretending to anyway. Um, great night. Anyway, I'm digressing. I'm mm -hmm. going to go with uh, a no disqualification match between Edge and Eddie Guerrero um, from SmackDown in October of that year. Um, if you don't immediately recall that match, I urge you to dig it out on the network and find it. If you've never seen it before, it's an absolute masterpiece. These guys had a mini feud on SmackDown um, that was more or less based on uh, who was the better wrestler, more or, less, more or less as straightforward and simple as that. And this was the culmination of that. And in my mind, it's one of the best matches that's ever been on SmackDown. 
um, certainly in the top three. And I think it's purely my favourite singles match of Edge's career just because of how well it was built. You didn't know who was going to win. You know, neither neither of the guys was above the other on the token pole. But by the end of that match, you not only respected and had more um, prestige, both guys came out with more prestige individually, but I think they elevated the whole programme. That match, in my opinion, was the match that put SmackDown in the driving seat as the number one wrestling show in the world. It was only for a short period of time while Heyman had those six guys on top, as well as Taker and uh, Brock Lesnar um, as out-and-out main eventers. But I think that match pushed that brand, pushed SmackDown to be the best TV show and possibly the best weekly TV show that's been in the last 20 years in that small period of time. So, yep, Eddie Guerrero against Edge, uh, 2002. Okay, right. Before um, Dean makes his decision, um, we'll have a chat about some of the uh, the matches that um, that just missed out on our choices. Um, Dean, without showing your preference just yet of uh, of our choices, is there one that jumps to your mind that you would have picked in uh, in opposition to these if uh, if you were able to? It's it's tough. I mean, I've I've got to say that I mean, I my my recollection of 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 Edge as a as a headliner was um, I don't know if it was 2006 or another title blends into one but it was um, a pay-per-view called New Year's Revolution and I think he came out with the briefcase and won the title and that was where he suddenly elevated himself to the headline Um, and so yeah and he broke out from being just an undercard singles or a tag wrestler into the, the role that he then occupied but um, it, it's it's tough because I mean I'm, I I've got to be honest I'm I don't necessarily recall those specific matches too well. Edge, Edge was one of these guys that he'd have solid matches, but I wouldn't necessarily go away remember being particularly memorable. If you see what I mean, he was like a solid hand. He was a reliable hand. Um, I, I, I would have watched I, I remember religiously watching Smackdown in 2002 because as Paul said it was an absolutely fantastic show um, and I remember it was aired on a, a Saturday morning I used to do talk, talk sport wrestle talk on a Saturday evening so I'd always make sure I watched Smackdown that morning to go and, you know, before, the, before I recorded the radio show um, but I would I'd probably yeah out of those two matches I'd probably no have don't to pick go, don't pick don't pick don't you know, it's not no, it's not the time to pick the uh, your favourite well, we'll, if there's a we'll have a little discussion about some other um, some other edge matches first if there's anything else that uh, jumps to your mind I mean there's the the one that sprung to mind it's not a great match it's a stunt show it's an exhibition was the match with Mick Foley where of you know, the spear through the flaming table there's the whole feud with with Matt Hardy where they had a, a kind of wild brawl match at one of the pay-per-views that, you know, that was all mired in the real life situation um, those, those those spring to mind um, but as I said I, I, I'm, for me unfortunately a lot, of, a lot of Edge's matches kind of don't sit well in my memory I have to say I actually think that's fair enough because Edge has always been someone to me that I've I have huge respect for him. I think he's been magnificent for many years. Um, never actually met the guy, but everything I've ever heard about him says that 
Um, he's a decent guy, um, which is obviously a, a bonus as well. Hard worker, very sadly, um, you know, have his injury. Uh, his injuries curtailed his career at an early stage, or we don't know how long on, he'd have gone on, of course, but. Um, it put in premature end to his career, but um, I, I was never a fan as opposed as in oh I'm really looking forward to this Edge match. But I think he delivered. You know, you, we generally will have a little chat about um, the worst of times and some of their worst uh, moments. And it certainly occurred to me when I was trying to come up with the favourite match of mine that actually I can't think of too many that was terrible Edge matches. I want to say, did was it? Did Edge and Booker T have a feud over uh, who got the lead in a shampoo commercial? Okay. Have I remembered that correctly? That's a pretty dismal thing. And we, when we talk about the um, the worst of times, we're generally speaking about the uh, the opponents they were saddled with, or the terrible gimmicks or storylines that was forced upon them, as opposed to their own work being shoddy. And I think being asked to do a feud over a shampoo commercial was a bit beneath someone as uh, as good as Edge. But um. Um, I'll, say, I'll say this: I never, you know, I never ever remember watching Edge match and thinking that was a, a poor match. That was a shoddy match. Yeah, that's what I mean. He was always a, a good, solid hand, which is a big, you know, which is a big um, compliment in itself, isn't it? Um, you know, there's not necessarily all that many people that could have been around for as long as he had, because he was probably a good, solid. When did Edge have to retire? Is it about four or five years ago? Two thousand and eleven. 2011, as long as that, is it? Well, anyway, 2002 was really when he got his singles, you know, his, his first real, true edge being allowed out as a single on his own. So he had a good, solid nine or ten years, or nine years anyway, um, as not necessarily always a main eventer, but as a solid singles hand, obviously with some injuries in between those times where he had to take a long time off. But, um, you know, we had things like him coming back and winning the Royal Rumble and, and getting a big reaction for that and been in title matches at WrestleManias and he was always regarded as one of the, the top guys and I think possibly the the biggest you know compliment I can give to Edge is that I think he was considered the man on a brand. To me, SmackDown felt like Edge's show for at least a couple of years, partially because of his association with Vicky, but you know... I think that's a real credit to Edge. I think he carried that brand for some time. Would, would, would you agree with that, Paul? Uh, yep, yep, I would. Um, he felt like the absolute model of consistency, like we said, and he was the anchor in which, in which SmackDown revolved around. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of kind of the uh, the time when he was with Vicky Guerrero, same as you, I think. And um, yeah, he was he was a he was a big star. He really broke out for me in a major way because I, I would previously have maybe agreed with what you guys were saying about the consistency and how he wasn't all that but you look back on his career and, and he did have some absolutely massive matches and I think where he suffers in comparison is as I sort of touched on earlier a lot of his really major work was not just one on one there was a lot of other guys involved um, and I think that maybe sort of clouds the judgement a little bit because when you actually go back and look there was there were really some great stuff really some great matches you know um, the stuff with John Cena that we talked about do you remember that fatal four-way in 2007? I think it was him, Orton, Cena, and Mysterio. Um, and if you've never seen it, by God, it's, it's, it's head and shoulders the best fatal four-way match ever. Tough, tough, genre, tough genre. Hard yeah. to make a good fatal four-way. I know, I know. I, don't, I can't recall any that are spectacular apart from this one. So I think it, it wins, the, wins that by default. But... Yeah, Edge had a lot, a lot of great matches. You, you mentioned the the WrestleMania match with Mick Foley, which was wonderful. Um, 
I, I think maybe we, we tend to do the guy a bit of a disservice, if I'm being completely honest, because he kind of sat between two stools. He was never Mr. Work Rate, was he? He was never the sort of the indie darlings fan, but equally he wasn't just some sort of cookie-cutter WWE creation. I think he, he sat quite awkwardly between the, those two positions, and, and maybe neither sort of end of the fan base adores him um, sort of as, as much as they adore some of their totems. And, and maybe that kind of splits the vote, for want of a better phrase, um, on, on Edge's career. I'm going to say I mean, something that... as well. Sorry, oh, go on. I was, I was no. just going to say one one thing about Edge as well. I think was, yeah, we talked about his his career being curtailed because of injury. But to me, his career was punctuated by getting quite a lot of serious injuries. I mean, I remember him having I think an Achilles injury where he was out for the best part of a year. That, you know that that hindered things because it stopped him getting a lot of momentum. You know, build up and then it would fall off at the inopportune time. But on the flip side of that, yeah, whenever he'd come back, he'd get a huge reaction. But you know, if anyone's been out for several months, they always get a huge reaction coming back. But then he'd still get a good reaction on week two, week three, week four, week five, and that you know that was a that's the test of things. So you know, as a face or as a heel, he always got a good a good response from from the crowd. Yeah. Most definitely. I'm, I'm going to say something which is the kind of thing normally that I'd hate someone saying, but uh, and I'm possibly being a bit too um, going into the nuances too small here. But I think if there's anything that held Edge back in his career, I don't think Edge ever had a really good finisher. I, 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 I that sounds too marky for to me to be something that I would normally say. But I just look at Edge and think his finisher was basically the spear, but. It's not as good a spear as Rhino did, and it's not as good a spear as Goldberg did, and it's not as good a spear maybe even as Batista did. It's like, I, I once saw it referred to as the flying hug, and it's like, it did. I always thought it did look a little bit, you know, safe, and I, I don't want to be knocking people for being safe because that's, that's absolutely what you should be doing. But I never looked at the, the spear and thought it looked devastating, and I know he had the, the sort of a jumping DDT. Impaler or, or whatever you might call it at, at different times, but I just think that's if if Edge had have got the RKO and not Orton, I think Edge would have been a bigger star. And I know that's a weird thing to say about one particular move, and I just think he, he possibly needed something to stand out above everyone else. And had he had a an incredible um, submission hold or you know, the RKO or, or something before Orton did, I just think that might have just stood him out that little tiny bit. Not much more, but I don't think it would have taken much more. I just... I just, I, I, am, am I being harsh, Dean, do you think? No, I think that's a really, really good point. Really good point, because he... Um, yeah, he was doing that spear at the time that it felt like everyone was doing the spear because Goldberg was doing the spear and it was over. Um... I think he also did like an implant DDT of some sort as well. Yeah, it was a, of a jump jumping DDT, was it? I mean, which was good yeah. DDT. It was good DDT, but it was, uh, but he yeah. wasn't the only person to have done a DDT. No, but it wasn't like you know um, John Cena's AA, which yes, it had been done before, but not quite the way he did it. And no, and obviously that was a protected finish because of who he was. Kurt Angle's ankle lock's a great example of that. You know, no what he he made that move. That is an old move that he made popular. And you know, then Jack Swagger started using it, and other people started using it elsewhere. And you know, it, it, 
you associate Kurt Angle with with that. You associate Brock Lesnar with the F5. And, I, and I, yeah, I would I would argue that Ken Sham, Ken Shamrock with the ankle with the ankle lock, but I I agree that Angle cool. Angle surpassed him with it. But I, you know I go right back to the Ken Shamrock when I first That's saw him. Good point. Yeah, good point. Um, but yeah, if you yeah, I think if you said to, if you said someone you know quickly what was Edge's finisher, they wouldn't necessarily straight away go spear. It wasn't something you'd immediately associate with him. You know, Jeff Jeff Pardy and the Swanton or something like that. Is yeah, I, I think it's a really good point. Paul, do you want to strike me down? Uh, far from it, mate. I really can't think of anything to add to it, but I think it's a really damn good shout. Not something I'd have ever considered before. But there's no way anybody, and it's always been a bit of a bugbear of mine. There's no way anybody of Edge's size and style should do the spear and try and pass it off as a convincing move because it just bloody well isn't. A spear is for your Goldbergs and your Rhinos. Um, anybody else trying to do that, and it just looks so weak to me, and I include Edge in that. Yeah, you did, and, and I love the idea of, of that RKO being given to Edge instead, and you know that is such an over move. Where would that have taken him? It would have fit in so well with that Ultimate Opportunist character as well, wouldn't it? Um, so I think yeah good point mate no argument from me thank you very much I'm, I'm just going to add one more match in because um, it was the one that I was thinking about doing um, and I thought maybe it was a bit too current not current in terms of the uh, the match because actually the match was 15 years ago but um, our friend our friends Conrad Thompson and Bruce Pritchard on their show something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard talked about um, WWE Judgment Day 2002 this week um, it sounds like we're shilling um, people that we're about to work with but if you haven't listened to um, that particular edition of their podcast get it listened to and indeed get the show watched on the network because they were talking about Judgment Day 2002 um, I went and watched it on the network my goodness what a show I mean it's not the most absolute standout blow away everything's a wonderful match show but there's possibly never been a more star-studded um, WWE card ever. Just everyone from that era is on the show. Um, just fabulous to watch in terms of... Uh, and I, I remembered very little from it. Um, but what I did remember was the Edge versus Kurt Angle hair versus hair match that took place on that show, um, which is an absolute barn burner. If you go back and watch it, it is such a good match. Edge is really, really over here. This is his first real big match I think sort of breaking out onto a singles character but Edge was good here so was Kurt you know Kurt was going bald so you know it was a good way of having him shave his hair you don't need all this background from me because you can listen to Bruce and Conrad talk about it but um, I sort of feel because I watched it this week I didn't want to necessarily pick it because it feels like I'm only picking it because I happen to have seen it this week Had would it have occurred to me had Bruce and Conrad not been doing Judgment Day 2002 probably not so therefore I don't want to pick it. It's like if you were to pick, you know, Britain's biggest ever pop star and do a poll a poll right now, then Ed Sheeran would probably beat David Bowie and it's like well and because he's around right now. Now Ed Sheeran's great, you know, but he's not David Bowie and he's not lots of other people that have come before him and currency sometimes trumps things. Um so because it's in my mind I feel like I may have gone that way, but I certainly think it deserves an honourable mention because it's a really, really good match. Do you guys remember it? Dean, you remember that one? Do you know something? I've got to say, if you'd asked me who did Kurt Angle lose to to have his head shaved, I couldn't have told you. Brilliant. Well, I'm, I'm glad we've had you on for this uh, for this nostalgia I'm, feature. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just now I'm just looking up. Um, I'm just looking up Judgment Day 2002 here. Yeah. 
William Regal, D'Lo Brown, Eddie Guerrero, Rob Van Dam. That's a dark match. The Regal, Regal D'Lo is a dark match. Oh, oh, it, was on, it, was on, it was on Sunday Night Heat. It was on Sunday Night Heat. Austin, the Big Bone Flair. Yeah, Edge V. Angle, Triple H, Jericho, Rikishi and Rico, the Billion Chuck, and then Taker yeah. and Hogan. That's a bit of a come down. But yeah, well, you, yeah, the, the, the Jericho um, Triple H matches are hell in the cell. Um, it's just just so many big names that are like down the card. It's like Austin against Flair and Big Show is on fourth or something like that. It's just um, Brock Lesnar's wrestling the Hardys with um, Paul, Paul Heyman. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's just it's unbelievable. There's no Deadwood even on the uh, on the women's side of things when it was all a little bit TNA rather than wrestling. Um, it was Trish Stratus versus Stacey Keebler who were two enormous stars of the era so definitely a pay-per-view worth, worth watching and then go and listen to um, Bruce and Conrad talk about it for, for two and a half hours or so afterwards um, the uh, Ishii and Rico Billy and Chuck match was clearly the match to bring the crowd down between Triple H and Jericho and Undertaker and Hogan most definitely sir yes I think that's, uh, that is the case um, right it's decision time um, now I'm going to offer a third option here which I'm not going to be inclined to do as time goes on um, but so you're going to choose my match you're going to choose Paul's match or I'm going to let you defer because if you don't particularly remember those matches specifically I don't necessarily want you to kind of pick a match on a whim if we could perhaps get you know someone else who's a bit more of an edge enthusiast in the future to um, to give their decision but it is your choice you are the judge sir so if you want to say I'm going to pick that match and you're going to pick the Cena match because that's mine or you're going to pitch the uh, Eddie match because that's Paul's then you can do but I'm going to leave the I, option open I, I would say that to me if you're going to put one of those two matches in that the Cena Edge pay-per-view match would be the, one, the, the, the preferable choice because yeah, this was this would be at a time that John Cena is coming to the fore. You're main eventing a pay per view for the WWE against John Cena. You know you have made it, um, and you know that's that's where you've reached that point in your career that you're you're a main event level superstar. So that that would be the reason I would put that that in as opposed to. Headlining that that SmackDown brand on a on a, a, a TV show that would be the choice. But I, I will I will say that it's they're not matches that I that, that I particularly remember. If you want in, in the, if you want to defer this to uh, someone who is more of a, an edge aficionado, then then uh, then by all means go for it. Do 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 edge aficionado. It fits rather nicely. Um, uh, yeah, okay. I, I think. What do you think, Paul? I, interim choice. No, I, I think to be honest, I think a um, we like we, we don't want to be wishy washy on this, and b I think although Dean can't remember the specifics of the match, they are sort of quite a long while ago. We didn't prepare this, and to be fair, he has a very good point. It's one of them where we're going to be all kissy kissy nice nice, um, and I can't really have any arguments in choosing that one at all because it was a phenomenal match. If, if I had strong feelings on it I might think differently but um, I think to be honest if we opened it up to say a public poll or what have you we'd get no, the same no. Right. Oh, no I wasn't I wasn't going to do that I was just going to um, 
potentially we could have had uh, someone else in the future just to uh, preside over that one. But um, no, if we're happy, that's fine. That is absolutely fine. We're booking on the fly a little bit here on the Hooked uh, On podcast. But we are going to put in John Cena versus Edge uh, from 2006 TLC uh, as Edge's representation uh, forever in the time capsule uh, from the best of times and the worst of times here on the Hooked On podcast. What this means is that when we discuss John Cena in a future episode, and we most certainly will, um, we will not consider Cena versus Edge from TLC as being Cena's representative match. We maybe pick another Cena versus Edge match, that's not off the table, um, but we will not consider that particular match because that would be a little bit uh, tautologous, much as we uh, in the first week put in um, Brett versus Stone Cold from WrestleMania 17, and when we do Stone Cold Steve Austin, we will not consider that match either. Um, Dean, thank you very much for. Um, uh, presiding over that uh, as judge now you have an, in, an equally important position um, which is you are going to decide who is next week's subject so you can go wherever you want to go with it in the wide wide world of wrestling just bear in mind we're trying to keep it um, world champion uh, world champion level hall of fame level uh, and with select sort of US champion IC title level yeah. On, on a grander scale so that, that's we're not making this completely specific we prefer if you didn't pick you know Freddie Joe Floyd or someone um, no no but, uh, no hey, keep hey, it, uh, Tracy's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, no um, I'm not, not not knocking him at all and we're keeping it um, we're keeping it WWE for, ti- for the time being we may extend to um, uh, some people in the future but at the moment it's a, it's a WWE thing really so oh we're keeping WWE are we okay um, well at least oh. at least inclusive of if if for example I'm not saying you have to pick this person but if for example we one week did Eddie Guerrero since Paul just talked about him I think Eddie Guerrero's WCW matches would be eligible um, but wouldn't want us doing say Buff Bagwell as a topic but who was you know pretty no, much always WCW I, I, I had I did have someone in mind. Now they have they have worked for the WWE, but they were better known probably for their work in WCW um, or even Japan. Because um, when 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 I uh, when when I was a, an impressionable teenager, I suppose watching a lot of wrestling, I always I always was on the WCW side compared to the WWE side. I have to say, and um, and this was someone who. Uh, was a, a headliner who had some incredible hard-hitting, brutal matches. Um, <laughs> is there is there any chance you're about to say someone with the initials T and F? It's not Terry Funk. Oh, it's not Terry Funk. I thought you were going to use Terry Funk. Okay. Uh, that would be fun to it's, it's not Terry Funk. It's not X Funk either. Paul. Um, it's um, no, the the person I was choosing was going to choose was someone that I was a huge fan of uh, as a as a kid, uh, and that was uh, Vader. Ooh, we could. Uh, well, okay, what do you think? What do you think, Paul? I like it a lot. It, to be honest, it means I have to do a bit more research than I would normally, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I quite fancy going and watching a few Vader matches this week, so I'm all for it. Okay, let's do Vader. Okay, that's fine. Vader had a presence in WWE for for many years. I mean. It's very, very possible that his best matches were not there, but um, I think it's absolutely. Um, I think it's credible. I think he had a WWE career. I think we can talk about his matches while he was there. We can talk about his career while he was there, as well as other things. Let's do it, okay? We are happy with that decision made. Next week on the Hooked On podcast, we will be discussing Vader 
in the best of times, the worst of times. I suppose I should branch it out and say Big Van Vader, which is what he was for yes. uh, for much of his career as well. So uh, the career of Leon White, Big Van Vader, or the man they call Vader, which for some reason they called him for uh, sometime in the WWF. That is next week. Paul, we've got some uh, some research to do. I have to say I'm not as uh, familiar with Vader's oeuvre as I am for some other people, but... Uh, I'm happy to um, to do the uh, the study hours if you are. Absolutely, mate. I'm well up for it. It's going to be quite an interesting week. Cool. Um, those of you out there listening, um, feel free to um, talk about some of your favourite um, Vader matches um, with us on on uh, on Twitter and Facebook. I should um, uh, I should thank um, Sipsy JP and uh, James Billington on Twitter who uh, helped me out a little bit with the um, uh, the John uh, the um, Edge. Suggestions. I think everyone that we um, we talked about all the matches that uh, they suggested uh, to me on Twitter. We talked about um, during the discussion tonight. But thank you for those two uh, lads for uh, um, sending over their um, options for me. Um, but if you have some thoughts on Vader matches, um, suggest them. We'll go and watch them on the network. It's what the network's for. Um, and we'll do a bit of a job of uh, looking over some old Vader matches and have a long old discussion uh, with whoever our guest is next week about Big Van Vader. Um, but for this week, um, it's been fun talking about the uh, the UK tapings this week. When we come to you next week, we'll be um, building up to a, uh, a SmackDown pay-per-view, so we might have a little uh, a chat about that as well as uh, whatever takes our fancy uh, here on the Hooked On Podcast. So remember, you can go and see our... Uh, find out more about our Bruce Pritchard tour, which is now in UK and Ireland, uh, and buy your tickets uh, via the various different websites which we talked about earlier on. You can find all of our information on our social media, and Paul is going to tell you that our Twitter page can be found at... Uh, Twitter.com is HO underscore wrestling. And the Facebook is... HO wrestling. And the Snapchat is... Non-existent. Non-existent, because we're old men and we don't understand Snapchat. I think we've got an Instagram, though, Paul, which is... We have, and it's hooked underscore on underscore wrestling. There you go. That'll, that, that'll do us for now. Um, but hookedonevents.co.uk is also somewhere you can go. Um, and we would love it if um, you followed us on the social media and um, subscribed to this podcast, which is on iTunes. So if you're not listening to it on iTunes, we are on iTunes. Uh, so you can subscribe uh, and listen on various different podcast uh, facilities. And uh, if you would um, feel so inclined just to give us a, uh, a nice review on Facebook or on iTunes, that's always a nice thing as well. Um, it helps us get out there to other people and uh, to hopefully benefit one and all. Um, so uh, it leaves me to say uh, thank you very much to uh, D- Dean Ayas. A return visit, and I'm sure not the last time. Hope you've had fun, Dean. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Excellent. When is the uh, when's the NXT show that you're uh, you're going to see? The NXT show is June the eighth, or yeah, June the eighth at Brighton Centre. Um, and also, if you're if you're after your live fix of the Twisted Genius, then my next live show is uh, May the twenty first um, in Rochester at the Casino Rooms, where we're uh, broadcasting on Flow Slam. I was coming to that because I wanted to um, just get you to mention Flow Slam, so that's a that's a good thing. Um, and we may very well come back to you, for, even if it's just for a uh, a short snatch, as it were, on the podcast just after uh, the NXT show uh, to find out what you uh, what you thought of that. Um, as for my uh, regular Until co-host, match, I remember. 
Oh, yeah, we'll see. It's not your birthday that time, so hopefully you'll yeah. be uh, at least relatively sober for uh, for much of it. Um, and to uh, to my regular co-collaborator and buddy, thanks very much, Paul, and we'll uh, speak to you next week, no doubt. Yes, indeed, mate. Thanks as always, Rob. Stellar, stellar work, mate, as is every week. Ah, oh, bless you for saying it, even though uh, even though you're contracted to. Um, to everyone else out there for listening, thank you very much for your support of the Hooked On podcast and indeed Hooked On Wrestling in general. We will speak to you next week here on the podcast. And just remember, it's wrestling. Enjoy it. We'll see you next week.